Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for your gathered body at the church and uh, for you using us in spite of ourselves. And so we pray, Lord, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, speak to us and that we might uh, hear and see what you are doing in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Uh, The past uh, three weeks, uh, we have been talking about this notion of community. And I want to issue a disclaimer before... Uh, I start, and that is that uh, the Bible doesn't talk about community as the end-all, be-all of everything, okay? I mean, I I don't know how many of you have woken up in the middle of the night saying, community, like, I mean, if that's a deep-seated need. And however, the ideas behind community uh, are things that that wake you up in in the middle of the night, Uh, feeling the need of, of belonging and connecting and even intimacy, and I don't mean that in its sexual sense, but actual uh, being able to interact with other people at a deep and meaningful level. And that stuff is just necessary for human survival. Right? It, that's, that's, that's what you need. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, did a very good job in talking about community. He was a bachelor for most of his life, and, uh, but he uh, quickly realized after meeting his, uh, the woman who would be his wife that... Uh, that he said, if you never want to be hurt in life, just don't love anybody and don't let anybody love you. If you want to get through life without being hurt, don't love and don't allow yourself uh, to be loved because uh, you'll find that when it comes to love is that your response uh, is proportional to your love and the situation that you might be involved in. And so uh, a lot of folks will, will come to me and we'll be talking and they'll see, uh, and most of the culture sees it this way, they see hate as the opposite of love. Right? But that's actually not true. Right? So when the husband and wife come in to my office and they're on the couch and they're yelling at one another and talking about how much they hate the other one, I actually feel pretty good about that uh, because it means they still care. Right? If somebody's on the couch and they're just sort of like, you know, what, whatever. Uh, apathy turns out to be the opposite of love. And so uh, you've experienced that. If you've ever had a child who has gone off the reservation uh, who is, or a loved one who has struggled with uh, addiction, uh, you get angry, don't you, right? So uh, you find uh, your love intensified uh, by being uh, in a community, but community is something that can't be manufactured. It's not sort of like, you know, I declare we are a community. Uh, and uh, someone once was uh, getting on my case uh, about we need more fellowship events at the Advent. And they were right, and that's why we're doing the parish retreat, and we've got some other things in the works. Uh, but they said, well, I just don't feel like the people of the Advent really gather together. And I said, really? You ever been to Highlands on a Friday night? Or, or, or hot and hot on a Saturday? I mean, are, are, you, are you seeing these things? Um, you walk in and, and you say, the Lord be with you, and three-quarters of the restaurant says, and with thy spirit. Uh, so, uh, and then the also with yous, those people are from St. Luke's. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but people are uh, spending time together, uh, and, and I think uh, a deep and meaningful way. But um, what I want to talk about today is the fruit of community. What are the things that we ought to be able to expect out of a group of people committed to one another and intentional about growing their relationships? This just comes so much easier for women than it does for men. I mentioned in a sermon about a month or two ago that husbands have the friends their wives give them. 
And, uh, and that's not the wife's fault. It's not that she's trying to force somebody on her husband. Uh, but girls are really good about keeping in touch and, and being vulnerable and sharing their lives. And, um, you know, Lauren, my wife, could be gone for three or four days for work, and she'll come back and she'll say, well, well what'd you do? Nothing. Right? And, and I'm kind of being serious. I didn't do anything. Well, who'd you talk to on the phone? No one. It was awesome. Uh, and, uh, like, um, I mean, she might say, why is there barbecue sauce on the bed sheets? I don't know. You know, you know. Eating ribs in bed. So, uh, guys just aren't as intentional and good about it as, as women are. Uh, and yet, uh, guys still need that, right? Men still need that. And I'm sure uh, when, if you got a chance to hear Wes Hill, especially uh, in our culture, which is uh, really, um, and I'm going to talk about this in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about the church, uh, but in some ways I'm going to be talking about how marriage has become an idol. Uh, in that marriage is sort of the end-all, be-all to human existence. And so if you meet somebody who's over 40 years old and isn't married, uh, the natural propensity of people on the street is to think, well, what's wrong? Uh, why, to ask the question, why aren't you married? Rather than understanding marriage as a calling, as a vocation, and often how we have slighted uh, those members of our congregation and our communities that, uh, that are single. Um, you know, it's um, the church, uh, if they do have a ministry to singles, it's normally to gather them together just so that they can meet one another and get married. And um, rather than actually uh, reaching out and going beyond uh, the bounds and even your comfort levels uh, in order to include people into your community. Well, when the Bible talks about community, and why I'm really talking about the church. And so when it talks about the church, it tends to use, uh, it uses a couple terms that are very powerful. One is family, the family of God, uh, the household of God. Uh, and with that, uh, the word household includes everybody who is in the house. And so when uh, Paul and Silas were freed from jail uh, by the, the great thing that happened with the, uh, in Philippi and the Philippian jailer, uh, was baptized. It said he and his whole uh, household uh, was baptized, which meant anybody who lived in that house, whether they were servants, whether it was grandma, whether it was, I mean, who had friends that were just sort of passing through, uh, that's, that's who was baptized. And then the Bible also talks about the church as the body of Christ. Uh, and that is impressive language, and it ought to impress upon us this idea that uh, we need one another. Right? Uh, as Paul says, that uh, you know, the, the hand can't say to the ear, I have no need of you. But in fact, uh, we all need one another in order to function as the body of Christ. One of the things that you see in the life of the church, and I'm going to um, uh, read uh, from uh, John uh, chapter, I mean, sorry, Mark chapter 3, beginning with the 20th verse, uh, is um, who is your family? Who is your family? Uh, let's see. Verse 20, chapter 3. And the crowd gathered again so they could not even eat. And when Jesus' family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He was possessed by Beelzebul. And his mother and brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? 
He said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now, this is, uh, this is kind of harsh sounding, isn't it? Um, but it, there's a part of it that makes me think this is very, very funny. Because up to this point, Jesus has uh, healed people. He's declared himself as Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, he uh, has uh, called the disciples. He's been preaching in Galilee. And it is in the context of the crowd being so good that they couldn't even eat is when his mother and family said, he's out of his mind. I mean, it's such a Mediterranean mother thing to do. E- eat something, eat something. You know, he's, he's, he's lost his mind uh, and he's pulling these people away from sustenance. And so his mom and his brothers come in to say, look, you've got you've to ease up uh, a little bit here. And they don't even come in. They send in for him. They don't come in themselves, but they, go, they send people to say, get him out of there and make him come to us. And Jesus, in front of this great crowd, denies his mother and his brothers. Why? It's not uh, an action consequence thing. It's not that, uh, well, it's because Mary and the rest of the family uh, have it all wrong. In fact, uh, what he's actually doing is accentuating a positive part of Christianity. And what he's saying is that the waters of baptism are thicker than blood. Or rather, the blood of Jesus is thicker than kindred blood. And so what he's saying is the, the links that he has with his disciples and those who are trusting in him and believing in him. He says those who do the will of God, and we know from John's gospel that to do the will of God is to believe in him who sent Jesus and upon Jesus, trusting in him, that actually that connection brings a relationship to a whole different level of intimacy and richness and deepness that you may not even be able to experience with your own family members. So if you're a Christian this morning and you're hearing this, you know exactly what I'm talking about, that those in your family who are not believers, that you have uh, certainly a relationship and an intimacy with them, but there's this barrier between the two of you because you can't share the most important thing in your life with them. And if you've ever been around the table on Thanksgiving Day and religion comes up, which often it does in our family, it's like you're speaking Greek and they can only understand Mandarin. Right? There's, there's, you're just sort of talking past one another and you're just not getting it. The Bible says that they're spiritually blind. And then in 1 Corinthians that Satan actually, actually veils the gospel uh, to those who do not believe. And until that veil is pulled off or something uh, falls from their eyes, like with the Apostle Paul, they're not able to see or hear uh, the gospel message of what Jesus uh, has, has done uh, for them. And so your Christian relationships uh, share uh, a deepness and a richness and an intimacy that even some of your blood relatives don't have. And if you're a Christian, that grieves you, right? This is not something, you know, you can't just flippantly say, well, you're no longer my family. Uh, but funny enough, in the same way you can't pick your own blood kin, you don't get to choose your own Christian family. Uh, If God chose you, as the Bible says, then it means he also chose your brothers and your sisters in Christ. 
Um, I uh, find it uh, very convicting and significant when I receive communion uh, to sometimes have to drink the cup right after someone I don't like has drank from it uh, or someone that I normally wouldn't be friends with. That this idea of, of a shared uh, cup and uh, a shared uh, life together. And, and the church ought to look like that. I mean, if you look around, I mean, we're, we're an attractive congregation as far as I'm concerned. But, uh, but the church is, is much bigger than that. The church cuts across socioeconomic, demographics, uh, race, class, uh, gender. All of that stuff is, is just swept away because of who we are uh, in, in Jesus. And in our modern-day culture, it's really easy to go to a church. And uh, now, when you move into a new town, I think you ought to do this. You know, you try out different churches and things like that. Um, but in our culture, it's pretty much a safe thing uh, to say, you know what? I, I just I, I want something a little bit different, uh, and so I'm I'm going to just go to uh, to a different church. And there are good reasons to switch churches. I mean, there may ex- actually be good reasons to switch churches from the Advent, but I can't think of any. But there may be some. And and this uh, but this idea of that we can kind of surround ourselves with the people that we want to surround ourselves in the life of the church just simply isn't true. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, the early church was this wonderful, beautiful, pure thing. It was a wonderful thing, uh, but early on in the church, I mean, even in uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, you had an issue where when they would share a meal together, the Christians would, the, the wealthy Christians would eat before the poor Christians. And Paul said, look, this is not the way that it's supposed to work. You're all supposed to be in this together and share together in the life that, that Christ has given you. And so when Jesus says, uh, who are my mother and who are my brothers, he's not denying his kinship and even shared faith with his mom and his family. Uh, but what he's saying is that I'm relating to you in the same way that I would my blood family. And Jesus is certainly interested in, in family life. I and mean, when he was on the cross and dying, he looked at the disciple John and said to, about Mary, who was sitting right there, his own mother. He said, John, this is now your mother. And to Mary, John, now John is your son. And so why was able Jesus to say that? Because of this, right? Because of this, that, that what uh, Mary and John shared together was significant and he could actually come into uh, the life of, uh, of that family and be a part of it. Uh, a man died in Beaufort just a couple weeks ago named Ed Pruitt. And, um, and Ed uh, owned just a little corner market uh, in Beaufort and it was famous for uh, two things. Uh, children uh, that would go to buy candy there, and robberies. Um, and, uh, but there was never a lot of money stolen, but Mr. Pruitt just often left the door unlocked. And he was a perpetual bachelor his whole life. And uh, his brother Jim, when he died, he was, very cl- he was very close to another family in the congregation. And he said to them, my brother Ed is on his own. If anything ever happens to me, take care of him. And they did. And so Ed Pruitt moved in with this family and lived with them uh, until he died about two weeks ago uh, for the last 20 years of his life. 
And he was just as much a part of that family. And it worked, and it wasn't superficial, and it wasn't weird, and it wasn't awkward, uh, but it was able to happen, I think, by the power of the Holy Spirit. It became a very real thing of being able to take uh, folks into your home and and welcome them, uh, for you may be entertaining angels uh, unaware. And the thing about living with somebody, if you think back, um, you know, when couples come in for premarital counseling, I often will say, well, remember back in college when you had that roommate you hated, right? The roommate that you, you but you would just avoid them, and if push came to shove, you just get a new roommate uh, next semester. I said, well, you're going to get married, and you just can't get a roommate next semester, right? You're, you're really stuck with that person, and the reason why your roommate got so under your skin uh, was because you lived together. You had a shared life together, and the things that probably annoyed you the most that they said um, were true about you. And, and it, it didn't feel good uh, to have somebody pushing on the bruise. And so one of the things that community does for us uh, is that it creates a level of transparency and vulnerability, right? That, that you, can't, you can't cover up. Uh, you can't cover up. I mean, it, it, if you're uh, living under the same roof with people or if you spend any time with people, uh, then, then life becomes uh, a little bit more uh, complicated. Uh, litmus test of really, well, a litmus test of if, if you think that you're, you're, uh, uh, you might uh, need some counseling but don't want to go, um, you and your wife should go on a tandem kayak trip just for a day, uh, and then you'll be in my office the next day. Uh, but, um, but one of... Um, one of the uh, really uh, interesting things when they come in uh, to my office and, and talking to them about that is that if you, or another good, if, if, you, if things are great in your marriage, another good way to do the litmus test is go on vacation with somebody else and their children. Um, I'm sure that all of you have stories about like, that was fantastic and other stories of, we're never talking to those people again, <laughs> right? Uh, maybe not you, y'all are probably really wonderful to go on vacation with. Uh, but. Uh, but when you're under the same roof, uh, even just for a weekend, uh, it creates a certain level of transparency and vulnerability, and it actually opens you to judgment. Now, there's uh, a very interesting quote uh, that I came across um, from a guy named Robert Wuthnow, who's from Princeton University, and he's talking about small groups. He's talking about small group ministry, and uh, he's, uh, he's making an observation about how most small groups function. Robert Wuthnow has found that small groups mainly provide occasions for individuals to focus on themselves and the presence of others. The social contract binding members together asserts only the weakest of obligations. Come if you have time. Talk if you feel like it. Respect everyone's opinion. Never criticize. Leave quietly if you become dissatisfied. In overcoming loneliness in everyday life, two Boston psychiatrists suggest that groups fail to replicate the sense of belonging we have lost. Attending weekly meetings, dropping in and out as one pleases, shopping around for a more satisfactory or appealing group, all of these factors work against the growth of true community. And so for you to actually be able to connect with somebody, to actually make uh, these relationships happen, it does require a good deal of transparency and vulnerability. And that's scary. 
That's scary because all of us have been programmed in our lives uh, to live lives that are uh, not just beyond reproach, which is a good thing, uh, but that everybody sees your A-game, that that's what they see in, in life. And uh, I always think it's, uh, uh, you know, when people start talking about, um, well, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. So uh, in my family, um, uh, people will come up to Lauren and say things like, isn't Andrew wonderful? And she says, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, no, she, she does and she understands it. But when, peop- but when I'm there, um, I actually want to get her out of the conversation because I'm afraid Lauren might say something about me that's true that might uh, dissuade them from thinking that I'm wonderful. Uh, and as I've mentioned before, I preached a, a sermon on be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And I said, how many of you are perfect? And of course, that was a rhetorical question. And somebody in the back of the church raised their hand. And I couldn't help myself, and I, I said, well, I'm going to talk to your wife after the service and see how perfect you are. Um, he never came back again. Uh, just kidding. He's, he's still there. He's still there. Uh, uh, but <clears throat> we're, we're all hardwired and culturally trained to not show any vulnerability or transparency in life with anybody. Now, I'm not saying that you need to go down the street and say, you know, when someone says, hey, how are you? Worst day of my life, you know, especially if it's somebody you don't know. Uh, but, but there ought to be people in your life that you can go to and actually be able to be real and honest. And most small groups don't accomplish that because we still, I mean, especially if you're going through a book of the Bible or something like that, you know, you, you, know, you want to be super Christian. You know, you don't want to be perceived as questioning your faith. You don't want to be perceived as saying the wrong thing. And so most people will button up. And uh, I've, I've been involved in a small group um, ever since the seventh grade. That's and, and not, not the same one, but uh, I've never really been without a small group. And, uh, and normally it's, it's a smaller group of guys. Now I'm in my first co-ed small group. Talk about uncomfortable. Uh, just kidding. I said that for uh, the people here who are in my small group. So, um, uh, but... You know, most small groups were, you know, we just kind of, we talked a lot about Jesus, which is a very good thing, and, you know, we talked about our lives a little bit, uh, but it wasn't until I got to college where I was in a, gr- a small group of guys, and uh, we uh, were going around, and at the end of it, we would always do prayer requests, and the prayer requests were always things like, you know, just pray that I love Jesus more, that, that God gives me opportunities to witness. Now, those were real prayer requests, but, you know, it, is that really what's waking me up in the middle of the night, right? And so the prayer request almost became a judgment uh, time of how Christian are you? How Christian are your prayer requests? And then uh, we got around to a guy whose name is Will, and, uh, and uh, Will said, um, good Christian guy, uh, but he said, um, pray for me and my girlfriend uh, because she's late, and we kind of looked at him, and we said, late for what? And he said, late as in she might be pregnant. Well, it was like, you know, needle just went right off the record. And we're like, well, we got real, real, real fast. Uh, and, uh, and at that moment, all of a sudden, it was like the ice had totally broken. And uh, now in a lot of groups, there's this big emphasis on accountability. And I've found that if you call your group an accountability group, uh, you're just all going to lie to one another, right? You know, hey, how's this part of your life going? 
awesome. High five. You know, uh, you're, you're, you know, how are you doing with the Lord? I get up every morning at 4.30 and do some spiritual working out with Jesus. He's my spotter. It's great. Um, when, in fact, uh, the alarm clock goes off at 7, and you're just like, I hate life. You know, snooze. Uh, so, but in this, in this instant, and I mean, there is a place for accountability. I mean, I, I hope that if I'm doing something that I ought not to be doing, that somebody would, going back to the whole love-hate thing, that would love me enough to say, stop. But... When, this, when Will said what he said, uh, I was really anxious because at first I thought what people were going to say were things like, well, you know, y'all, y'all two shouldn't be messing around because you're not married. Well, that's true. It's true. Uh, but not exactly helpful to Will in his situation, right? Tell me something I don't know. Uh, or, or, well, Will, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. And, um, and one of the guys spoke up, Dan, and said, you know what, let's, let's pray for you. Let's pray. And it was the most beautiful, heartfelt prayers that I'd ever heard of really care and concern for this guy and his girlfriend and leaving that place saying, no matter what happens, we're with you. We're with you. Uh, and, and oftentimes in Christian communities, that's an unusual response uh, because Christians are one of the few armies that shoot their wounded. And, um, and at that moment, uh, you know, all of a sudden, you know, a lot of folks would say, well, if that's the kind of behavior that you're engaged in, uh, then, then we're out of here. But in fact, that was one of the greatest criticisms of Jesus' ministry. You are in ministry and in fellowship with people who are doing things that aren't necessarily Christian. And, uh, and even if that was part of their past lives, if they'd had uh, a conversion experience and come into a new light, even though they may have still have struggled with certain areas, even that uh, was not enough. And uh, people were often judged by something that had happened in the past, right? And that that sin uh, was, was ever before them, that they always wore uh, a scarlet letter. I always hesitate to say scarlet letter because everybody's wearing a crimson A all the time around here and, you know, it makes me think of Nathaniel Hawthorne. But, um, um, but it actually points to faithfulness. So, so most Christians, I shouldn't say most Christians, but a lot of Christian communities uh, would simply uh, cut them off and say, well, if you're not going to behave in a Christian manner, then you can't be part of our fellowship. And the problem with that, and you can understand this, that if that's the mentality of the church, then we're all going to lie or fake it, right? We're all going to fake it or we're going to lie. And uh, I often will find people that, you know, and you probably experienced this too, that they come into the church, and I'm not saying the Advent, but generally they become Christians and they come into the church and they're all around and then all of a sudden uh, they disappear and you wonder, whatever happened to so-and-so? Whatever happened to them? And for many of those folks, not all of them, but for many of them, it's one of those things that they think that as Christians... They can't be vulnerable, and they can't be transparent, and they have a very hard time finding a place within the church where they can be those things without judgment. Now, that doesn't mean uh, that we don't judge. Right? I, in fact, uh, I talk about the Ashley Madison thing um, in, uh, in the Next Adventurer newsletter, and, um, and one of the things when Jesus says, before you point out the speck in your brother or sister's eye, be aware of the plank in your own eye. Jesus is not saying don't judge, but what Jesus is saying is that the sin in your life, if you've ever had like a speck of dust or a little piece of sand at the beach get in your eye, what does it feel like? 
The world is coming to an, ah, and you know, you'll throw your face in the water and do anything you can to get at it. Well, Jesus is saying that's how you should feel about your own sin before you start pointing at everybody else's, right? Your sin ought to bother you as much as somebody else's sin. And if it doesn't, you, you need to be more sensitive to what's in your eye. And so if that's the perspective we have going into it, when it comes to judgment, actually, judgment comes from a, a place of compassion and it comes from a place of sympathy, right? Where you're able to actually uh, relate to Will, uh, whose girlfriend might be pregnant, uh, not from a far off sort of lofty, righteous position, uh, but uh, to know that, that but for the grace of God. And we used to have this uh, website in Buford called uh, mugshots.com. Uh, if we had it in Birmingham, all of y'all would watch, look at it all the time. Uh, and, uh, and it was always a lot of fun to get on there and, and see who got arrested uh, because they were your friends and your neighbors. And, uh, and after it, I always felt so much better about myself uh, after I got off of it. And, but I finally realized, you know, the, the guy who, who's gotten busted for the DUI, uh, the difference between that guy and me he got caught. He got caught. And so if, if our own, if our, if our self-awareness is driving us uh, to a place of transparency and, and vulnerability, then people can actually share uh, their lives and be honest and say things like, my marriage is not just on the rocks. It's, it's sinking. It's just sinking. And, and I don't know what to do uh, to even stay afloat. Or, you know what, my, my child, I don't know what to do with them anymore. I, I've really just kind of given up on them. Or, you know, my work, I'm miserable in my job. And uh, most of us, one, we don't want to talk about those things, but two, uh, there are very few environments in which we can actually allow ourselves to be the weak people that we really are. And so... One of the ways uh, that I think this, this, when this happens, when the Bible talks about bearing one another's burdens, you know, I think it's very interesting that Paul used that language because he didn't say bear others' burdens. He said bear one another's burdens, which means that we ought to be bearing the burdens of our brothers and sisters, and we ought to be allowing others to bear our burdens as well. That there's a real mutual understanding of that, look, we all have burdens, and we need to bear them for one another. There's not, you know, some are more burdensome than others, but we're all in the same boat. And in that way, like family life, uh, you're, you're giving yourself over to the other person. Uh, most famous verse in the whole Bible, John 3.16, right? Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. Right? He gave his life, uh, and all that believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But the way that God demonstrates his love for us is that he gives himself over to others. And what that creates, and I know that this is sort of a, a, a you know, people might say, well, that's just kind of, uh, that sounds trite, but it creates a sense of radical hospitality. Uh, if you're giving over yourself, that's why Jesus says, look, invite people to dinner who can't repay you. Now, I don't know about you, but I, that's not who I invite to dinner. I invite to dinner people who I know are pretty good cooks and so that I can get invited back to their house. Uh, or, 
uh, you know, we were talking the other day about, you know, one of the clubs in town, and, uh, well, I think all the clubs in town probably do this, like a one-day member guest. And it's like the best thing, because you're like, well, so-and-so invited me for that event, and now I can invite them. It's this whole sort of tit-for-tat thing. And yet Jesus says, one, invite those over who cannot repay you, but also give without any sense of reciprocation, right? Not a tit-for-tat. So when Jesus gives himself over for us, he doesn't hang on the cross and say, you owe me. Uh, but he says, it's finished, right? The debt has been canceled. You're, you're not, uh, I mean, there's a sense of gratefulness. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but Jesus has, has done it all and he's given uh, everything uh, in order to be in relationship uh, with you. And so uh, this shared life, in this radical notion of hospitality. You know, the Bible actually says that hospitality is a requirement to be a minister. And, um, and I'm, I'm convicted by that uh, because I know that I'm not as hospitable as I ought to be. And um, I, I've picked up a habit from my predecessor, and that is I carry cash in my pocket, and if people ask me for money, uh, I must always give it to them. Now, sometimes I'll say, hey, let me buy you lunch. Come with me. But I almost always give it to them. And somebody who was with me um, said, well, what if they just go buy it on, spend it on booze? I said, well, one, I probably would. Uh, but, uh, but two, that's not the point. Right? That's, that's, that's not the point. It's not my job to be the spiritual arm of the sheriff's department. Uh, but my job is to simply give. And they said, well, aren't you afraid that people will take advantage of you? And I said, I guarantee people will take advantage advantage of me. Uh, but that's, you know, that's part of, you know, I mean, you want to look at somebody who was taken advantage of, Jesus, and how often even now uh, I take advantage of Jesus, how I take his grace uh, for granted, and how I really do need to be pushed out of my comfort zone in order to offer welcome and hospitality uh, to people uh, who I normally wouldn't. Uh, and to be uh, conscious and conscientious about those who might be on the margins within uh, our own church here at the Advent uh, who uh, may just be looking for somebody to connect with and uh, simply need a friend. And so for the rest of the semester, we're going to be talking about um, uh, the church and, and what that means um, and uh, just because we're, it's right after Rally Day, we're actually going to be talking quite a bit about uh, sex uh, the next two weeks, that's a promotional uh, thing, and, um, and, uh, and marriage, and, uh, and, and the church as a community as a whole. But uh, any comments, questions, concerns before we get out of here? Well, I guess a plug is in small groups, I find that there are people that are a lot better at a lot of the things I'm not good at in a spiritual sense and so I can learn from them and then hopefully you know I share whatever I might share yeah it's an even iron my yeah. even my vulnerability yeah it's an iron sharpening iron thing and in that kind you know I mean iron sharpening iron isn't always pretty you know ding 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 you know it's hammer and tongs and so but it but it fashions us and makes us uh, into the people God has called us to be okay well so much for community uh, <laughs> God bless you, and uh, we will see you next Sunday.